and welcome to Annersbrook Church. We hope that this message from our lead pastor, Graham Heslop, both empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure you subscribe or visit our website at annersbrook.co.nz for a service near you. An old Italian gentleman lived alone in New Jersey. He wanted to plant his annual tomato garden, but it was very, very difficult. Thank you, Vert. Are they new or used? I don't, (laughs) it's hard to know. But he wanted to, um, sorry, plant his garden. (laughs) This is a sad, eh? But it was hard and his only son, where's my phone gone? Oh, there. Sorry. But his only son, Vincent, who used to help him with the garden, was in prison. The old man wrote a letter to his son, described the predicament. Dear Vincent, I'm pretty sad because it looks like I won't be able to plant my tomato garden this year. I'm getting too old to be digging up my garden plot. If you were here, my troubles would be over. I know you'd be happy to dig the plot for me like in the old days. Love, Papa. A few days later, he received a letter from his son. Dear Papa, don't dig up that garden. That's where the bodies are buried. Love, love, Vinny. At 4 a.m. the next morning, FBI agents and local police arrived and dug the entire area without finding any bodies. They apologised to the old man and left. The same day, the old man received another letter from his son. Dear Papa, go ahead and plant the tomatoes now. That's the best I could do, given the circumstances. <laughs> love you, Vinny. <clears throat> I share that because... We, we really have to think differently to succeed in life. And I, and I hate to say it this way, but it is the same thing. We have to think differently if you're going to succeed in the kingdom. Yeah. You, cannot, you cannot partake of what is the kingdom, the kingdom of God, without a change of mind. Jesus said, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never inherit the kingdom of God. So there actually has to be seismic shifts and changes. Um, And Solomon wrote that. He said, as a man thinks in his heart, thinking, so is he. Which kind of is weird because it describes his own battles. His whole life went down a whole track simply because of that dynamic. So our minds are a battlefield. Jesus showed us a better way though, and I I don't think we always see it like that when we read the Gospels. We don't always see Jesus doing emotional health. We don't read it and think, well, that's emotional health. But trust me when I say the human being is all body, soul, and spirit. It's very hard at times to know how to break them up. We we have clear circles and lines like we think we know what category it is at any given time. But the Jewish, the first century way of seeing it is you are just, you are all body, soul, and spirit. Right. It doesn't say you are body and a soul and a spirit. It's okay to demark it like that, to create segments. But you know what it's like? Like when you're sick in your body, it's funny how your soul becomes, right? Mm-hmm. And even your spirit, you don't feel alive in God. And it's the same when your spirit's not good, your soul's not good. Mm-hmm. And it can affect your body. Yeah. And what about when your mind or your link with your soul isn't good? You feel it everywhere. And so this is sort of the understanding. Now, not to quote someone anti-biblical, but he was onto something. Henry Ford, he quoted, if you always do what you've always done, then you always get what you've always got. For some people, they've never been taught and have never known that things can be better. 
and they've never been taught and never known that think can be better. That our thinking, that our minds, that our, our understanding. Many of us have grown up with similar emotional well-being to our parents, carrying on generational themes. And unless that is interrupted in some way, cycles can continue. Einstein is the one who said, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. No change, no difference, no new way of thinking. But but I'm kind of here today to say a couple of things and I guess help us explain some things, and that is things can be different for us. I just want to say that. Things can be different. Well, they're not bad, Graham. Well, that's fine. But are they John 10.10? Are they abundant, deep, satisfying life of God flowing in the kingdom that you are part of? Then things can be better. Things can be better for you. Zero agreement. I'm really surprised at that. I would be like, yes, that's good. Yes, yes, yes. So how though, how? How do we unlock it? I think that um, when we think about this in our mind and our emotions and we think of a, how do you think? What's your way, the way, practicing the way? What's the, the, the embodiment of your emotional world and how you process things? I think that more than anything else, the thing that stops us from flourishing in those places is the topic today. And that is misbeliefs. More than anything else, misbeliefs. We might call them beliefs, but they might just be missing a bit. They might just be slightly off rather than slightly on. Listen to what one Christian psychologist said after spending thousands of hours with believers and non-believers alike regarding this dynamic. The quote's here on the screen. This is the theme of my counselling and clinical approach, they said. Your life is the result of your attitude and choices. But attitudes and choices depend on beliefs and assumptions. That's breaking it down. Your, 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 your attitude is like your prevailing mood, default mood, the, the, that sense of, you know, I said to my son the other day because he, younger son the other day because he didn't like something we were going to do and uh, Beck and I were like you're coming veggie shopping with us and he was like what and I said your attitude determines your altitude and he goes what I don't know what either of those are and I was like yeah sweet that's fine some of those will be conscious those beliefs some will be subconscious the question is what do you really believe that's the question is what you believe the truth? Is it? Like, like, do you believe stuff that is ultimately true? What will be the result of believing it in your life and your family? By the way, this is the ultimate test of truth is how does it manifest itself? What is the fruit of it? That's actually the great test. Not just how does it feel? Wisdom is learning to link cause with consequence, thought with deed. So what do you believe? I mean, the answer is lots of things. Lots and lots of things. Half of them you'll be aware of, half of them you won't. Of the things you are aware of, or even those that you aren't aware of, are they true? Are they actually true? Or do they just seem true? Paul writes this um, to the church in Corinth. He said that the weapons we fight against because we are in a battle are not weapons of this world. 
On the contrary, they've got divine power to demolish strongholds. Brent talked about that last week. You can find it on our YouTube. We are effective in demolishing arguments, okay? And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, pretension and arguments. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So arguments are the thoughts that get thrown around in our minds. Um, Victoria, can you just help me here? I've got a little um, example, illustration. <laughs> wow, um, this is fantastic. Um, arguments are the thoughts that go on in our minds and pretensions are those thoughts becoming more concrete and solid, becoming a belief, shaping, determining. I, I once... Um, Heard this thought, it's pretty good. I did ask our team for a, um, a bird and this is the best we could do. And unfortunately it is a flightless one so this is going to take a lot of imagination. Um, we've got an aeroplane though so we might just use that I think as a, as a little example. Um, and this is the idea. So, so we, we demolish arguments. A lot of us, all the time our brains are coming up with concepts, thoughts, and they, they buzz over our minds and a lot of the time we might grow up not knowing this and so we feel very attached to our thoughts and very discouraged, despondent about our thoughts. But I love how Paul puts it that you actually are not even your thoughts, even though your thoughts do result in who you are, but they're separate from you. In fact, our brain, our mind, its job is to come up with thoughts. But just like in the Garden of Eden, there are now, because of what happened, way different thoughts to what we were ever designed for. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a knowledge of good and evil. So sometimes you think good thoughts, sometimes you think evil thoughts. And funnily enough, in God's good creation, we were designed for unity with God and not without the knowledge of evil, okay? But now we're in this place. And so you'll wake up and you'll just have this random thought, oh, this is going to be a Stupid day. And where this becomes a issue is not in that. A lot of people, even as believers, feel condemned for thinking a negative thought. It's not that. It's not, not whether or not you have a negative option. It's whether or not you let it land in the nest. The bird is your thoughts. The nest is your heart and spirit. And if that thought stays long enough, it will make a mighty mess in a nest. It will start to build its own kind of nest. It will start to fill it with all sorts of stuff, all sorts of negative stuff. And until we understand that, actually our thoughts, we can take thoughts captive and we can literally say to the thought, this is biblical. Hey, I don't accept that. Buzz off. But we become so attached so attached to our feelings, so attached to our thoughts that we're like, oh, I'm a bad person for thinking that. And you begin to ruminate on it. It begins to take a hold. begins to become a stronghold. And then you've got a right royal shambles on your hands, in your heart, in your spirit. God is actually wanting us to take our thoughts captive. I had a lot of arguments and pretensions in 2010. I do have them still today, but we'd just come back from Wellington. We spent a year and a half all together, including some commuting that I was doing, 
working for another church. We'd grown up in this church, we had a ministry in this church and felt God through an invitation to go to Wellington. So we were, we were, it was a big move, shifting our family, sold our house, we were, we were going. That was, this was a big um, call, a big move and we felt like it was right in God and so we did it. And God blessed us um, in that the ministry was actually reasonably fruitful, which was really positive. Um, it was productive. In about 10 months, something bizarre happened. I was walking down the street in Wellington, I think it was Lampton Key or somewhere like that. And in here, I just had this knowing that I wasn't meant to be there anymore, which is very weird. And I didn't really know what to do with it, so I just kind of ignored it, started to become a predominant thought. And then it became very complex for me because I've got this thing going on in my spirit whilst trying to do ministry, trying to whatever. I started talking to Rebecca about it. And actually in the end, I had to hand on heart, even though it was an amazing season, um, also a stretching season, but I had to make a decision because I could not live within myself. I felt like the Lord was saying, hey, you need to leave this place, which He brought us to. So we're in about a year now at this point had the convo, it was a difficult convo. Uh, Rebecca's amazing. She did think I was falling apart slightly in moments. Uh, however, uh, was like, look, if this is what we need to do, this is what we need to do. So we made the decision and then started packing up the house in Wellington. But the problem is I had nothing to go to. And it's real interesting when you have a conviction in your spirit, but now all these thoughts start roaring in, which is this, and I'm gonna be real honest with you. Well, that's it for me, that's ministry done. That's serving God like that, done. I'll never work for a church again. I'll never serve God like that again. And it was really, really difficult. So what I thought was, because I was becoming quite, um, yeah, negatively affected, I thought I'll ring my brother and see if I can build for him. And um, my brother would rather have 12 cats work for him than me. <laughs> this was not, Rebecca told me, she said, this, is not, this is not a goer. So hand on heart. I'd already done like six or seven years in ministry and it's not easy, but reasonably fruitful. And this is what I came up with. You ready? I'll pump gas. Now, this is no offence to anyone who's pumping gas right now. Um, that is a, obviously a worthy cause if that's what you want to do. But for me, there was no future. We shift back to Nelson. We make a pact driving back in. We're gonna spend some time here and then work out what's next. We thought we might go somewhere else or do something else. Um, pump gas in some other place. And so anyway, we drive in and we make a pact and the pact is this. Beck and I said to each other, if we ever settle, because we felt like it was been a stretching time, then we will know that we need to go from this place. Brent talks to me. He says, hey, what do you wanna do? And so I said, I didn't say pump gas. I just kind of said, oh, I'm not sure. And he goes, why don't you come back and work at church? And he goes, what would you like to do here? And so I, out of nowhere, told him, I just want to minister. I just want to serve people. And he says this, cool, let's do it. So all of a sudden, something has just like opened up over me. I cannot understand it. But for the next 12 months, this thought keeps on nagging me. Because as it had, it's had, as Caroline Leaf would say, a habitual thought creates pathways in the neuroplasty. 
It's like a it's like a groove. Thoughts create physical grooves in our minds, and because it had created such a groove, even though God had proven that I was not done and it was not finished, see, God can prove things to you, and yet your mind can still be in a rut. And so, so I'm just like ministering. It's going really good, but then I get off the platform and think, I stuffed it up. I should have never gone to Wellington, or I shouldn't have not left. I don't know what was up. And it bugged me to the point where I could not not do anything anymore. So I went to a Christian psychologist. And there was another issue as well going on too. And the other issue going on in my thoughts was, Beck was just pregnant with Judah and we'd just had him. And I just thought, I just felt like I was just an awful dad, not a good dad at all, just these thoughts. So anyway, I go to this Christian psychologist, okay? And this Christian psychologist sits down with me and he says, so why are you here? I said, oh, I haven't been feeling so good. I have these thoughts. It really gets, really mixes things up. It gets confusing for me. On one hand, I feel really confident, whatever about this, and on the other. And so he said to me, I, I let slip what the issue was, you see. I feel like I haven't done the will of God. I feel like the will of God, for me, I've ruined. I've stuffed it up. And then he asks me a question. What do you believe about the will of God? And I said, eh? He said, what do you believe about the will of God? And there was a big bit of silence. And I thought in that session, I thought, I'm not sharing that. Why? Because in actual fact, even though that's what I was struggling with, I didn't really know. I just had my experience. So then he said to me, oh, is the will of God like this for you? Is it like a tightrope over shark-infested water? I said, it absolutely is. Because my whole life, my, I, God touched my life when I was a very young kid. And I've always had a heart to do, to please Him. But that heart can sometimes become very painful when you feel like you're not pleasing Him. And there's no understanding of, you know, what's there and how God's going to help you. He said, oh, no, no, no. The will of God is not a tightrope over shark-infested water. The will of God is a wonderful playground. It's got some fences, like, for example, murder. You know, the feeling when you get the power bill and you see your children and that kind of feeling, you know? Like, that's obviously a breach of the will of God. But there are other things within the will of God that if, if you have it in your heart, that something comes into your heart and you test it and you pray into it and you believe then God says, why don't you give that a crack? Why don't you have an adventure with that? I had never heard this stuff in my life. I had never heard that God could be so benevolent, so generous, so adventurous. I'd never heard that. I never had believed it. I had a misbelief that the will of God was like a tightrope. And that's all it took. And it totally set me free. Totally set me free. And even to this day, what, 12, 13 years later, I have never struggled understanding the will of God. Now, he did give a little disclaimer that while you're in the playground, building an adventure with God and doing life with God, if God wishes to turn up and tell you He'd like you to do something else, be open to it. Then you'll know His will. But if you're just thinking the whole time, I'm missing it, I'm not doing it, my life doesn't resemble His will, there's a mess going on, pretension, arguments, and you can never find peace in that. You'll never find peace. This is my gift to you. 
So I just want to finish today by um, reading a passage of Scripture that's pretty tough stuff. But I think that some of you are ready for this because if, we, if misbeliefs are present in our life, basically it, it, it means lies, forms of lives, half-truths, they're present as well. So I'm warning you, the Scripture's pretty bold, it's pretty big, but we need the answers today. And it's John chapter 8. If you abide in my word, Jesus said, he's talking to a group of Jews who were right on the edge of believing him. If you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And what will the truth do, everybody? The truth will set you free. You won't on your own, but knowing the truth. It caused a real reaction. The Jews answered back, we are the offspring of Abraham. We've never been a slave to anybody. Remember, they come out of Egypt and they're trying to be free to God. How is it that you say we can become free? In other words, they understood in that moment they were not completely free. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, everybody who practices in bodies habitually does sin is a slave to sin. The slave, that's why we're practicing a different way. We're free through the blood, but we're embodying it that our freedom is maintained. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if a son of the house sets you free, you're gonna be free indeed. As a slave or a servant in the house, if a son sets you free to go and do something else, that's the context, you are free indeed. So there's three paradigms. Ready? Number one, only knowing the truth is gonna set us free. Not just hearing it. Hearing the truth is the first step. But those Jews heard it and soon they wanted to stone Jesus. People who hate the truth hate those who stand for it. Those who love the truth will love those who speak it. What is the word knowing? What does it mean to know? It's a Greek word known as gnosko. And this is the same word, believe it or not, that refers to when a husband and wife intimately know each other, even in a sexual way. It's the same word. I think the reason... Listen to this. I think the reason our generation struggles with truth and struggle to really know the difference sometimes between misbeliefs and truths is this. We keep flirting with the truth. We have a fling with it on a Sunday. We pay money with it for it, but we want it to entertain us, not to offend us. But truth can offend you sometimes. Truth won't bend for you. Truth wants to move in and exhume every lie and every darkness. Truth will not rest until it makes you free. And some of us think we're free, but we're actually bound in an area, a space. And we find it hard to recognise that. Just look at this scripture, James 3.17. But the wisdom from God, this is a little tester to see if there's uh, misbeliefs. The wisdom of God, same with the truth of God, is above all, first it's pure and peaceable. So is there a sense of peace, gentle, okay? Are you in a war constantly within, constantly in your emotions? It's also open to reason. It's open to people asking you questions and for you to actually dig down deeper to see what's going on. I love this, full of mercy. You made a mistake, there's mercy. You've been walking a shark infested sea over the tightrope over it, there's mercy. Feel like you're stuffed up, there's mercy and good fruits. 
is a huge list. Goodness, patience, kindness, peace, uh, all sorts of things. It's impartial and sincere. So if it is not these things, then it is most likely a belief that's present. A lie could well be in operation. Our emotional world will be off kilter somewhere as well. And I'm talking to believers here. Like this, you can have lies operating even though you are loyal to Jesus Christ. So we've got to become intimately acquainted with truth and know it like you're building an intimate relationship with it. Stop flirting with it. Stop swiping right on it. You know, there's stuff going on and you think, I'll just quickly read the Word for today. No, you need more than the Word for today. You've got to do a deep dive. Two, that we need to make more room also in our life for truth. Because He says, Jesus, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. They thought that's what made them free. Yet you plan to kill me because my word has no place in you. Listen to it. It's becoming really plain now. Place to grow and make a change in your heart. So basically, this is the thought. If the truth sets you free and you're not free, then you don't have enough truth. You need more truth. It's a really simple concept, but we just don't go all the way with this and we actually find, no, the Word's got no place in my life. And that's why we started early on in the practicing the way that we've got to build our life on the Word of God, on the Scripture. And we've got to, we've got to pack it. We've got to pack it. If you pack it with truth, if you abide in the truth, if you meditate on the truth, if you think on the truth, man, as soon as He told me about the playground, that was it. My mind was on that. Just constantly, mind on that, mind on that, set me free, mind on that. Imagine if I thought, oh, that's a nice suggestion. The truth is not a suggestion, people. It's not debating with you. It will reason with you, but it's not open for opinion. Oh, I'll see. No, no, no. And we want to fill our lives with it. You know, Jesus talked in um, Matthew 12 about a demon that was cast out and that when it's cast out of a person, it goes to find waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. And then he said, but it will return to the house from which it came if the house is empty. So you can actually get God doing a work in your life over this year and these weeks. But if you get cleaned out and you get a sense of forgiveness, a sense of being delivered, but you don't fill it with the truth, it's empty space. And it will just come back like that because there's no truth holding fast. So that's why we get a lot of darkness, a lot of evil spirits, a lot of demonic stuff coming back because we never filled our mind and our heart and our spirit. And we're just, we're just going to make more room. It's pretty simple, eh? Lastly, Jesus said this, finally, complete surrender to the Father. This is where it gets tough. You ready? Jesus said, this is not the way Abraham acted. You guys telling me that, you, you know, the truth will set you free. You thought Jesus thought He might get a thumbs up or something. You are doing the works of your own father. This is about origin stories now, okay? They said to him, you are not illegitimate children. We are not illegitimate children, they said, sorry. We have a spiritual father, God. And Jesus said to them, well, if God were your father, but he is not, you would love and recognise me. And what that is, is Jesus is known as the way, the truth and the life. So you would recognise the truth, Okay. He says this, For I came from God and have arrived here. 
but I have not even come on my own initiative, but He who sent me. Why do you misunderstand? That's the misbeliefs. That's the confusion, half-truths. What am I saying? It's actually because your spiritual ears are deaf. You're not able to hear the truth of my Word. You are of your father, the devil. And it is your will to practice the desires of your father. Speaking of the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks what's natural to him. Okay? For he is a liar and he is the father of lives and half-truths. Did you hear it today? Would you sleep with your front door wide open and unlocked? No, of course not. People are gonna take advantage of you. But when we believe, when we believe half-truths and lies, we're gonna door wide open to the father of lies. Would you leave your car running with the door wide open overnight outside your driveway? No, you wouldn't, stupid. But we leave all sorts of things precious things in our lives, through our mind, in our spirit, wide open. The enemy just loves to have a field day. Why? Because he's come to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life. So there's all good news at the end of the day, but you've got to recognise where doors are left open. I want to say it really clearly. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you do not belong to the father of lies. If you belong, you need to start saying when your mind and and misbeliefs and lies, when you get assaulted, you need to stand there and say, I belong to Jesus. Because because my Father is His Father. His God is my God. Okay? So I'm going to deal with the lie. I'm going to deal with the onslaught, but I've got victory over it. I really believe God wants to bring victory to people today. I, I really believe that, you know, what is it you believe? If you, do you want to know how, how you know you're actually believing a lie? There'll be pain. There'll be anxiety. There'll be confusion. Restricted potential. There'll be all sorts of chaos. A lack of peace. A big one, you ready? A lack of love. The Kingdom of God is love, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lack of freedom. Now we're cooking. I actually see the Holy Spirit moving in this room right now. I'm going to read a little list to you as we finish. If you believe. If you believe. It's just called If You Believe. And as I'm reading it, I don't actually even think that it's exclusive to what I'm reading. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and show you because you're not born to be restricted. Rafaela, God has got you here for a big reason. It was never an accident. When we see moments and times like this, our natural mind thinks demotion because we had this trajectory. But oh no, Rafaela. Oh no, 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 no. God is promoting you. I walked in this morning and I saw you and I said, I thought promotion is on your life. And you know what? It's not even a natural promotion. I think that many of the things you learn when you're in Melbourne are coming home to roost. They're getting deep into your spirit, Rafaela. Okay? So it's more than just pra- a, a practice you can learn. It's actually going to become part of your identity. But God, but God has called you to have a ministry, particularly young adults. I really feel like there's a ministry on your life. 
I walked in here this morning and I saw it over you. And it doesn't have to be here. God may have other things in store, but I just feel it on my heart. This was never a demotion. Don't look at the natural, Rafaela. Don't look at the natural. Don't fear man. Don't fear man's opinion. Fear God. Trust God. You're exactly, I just declare this, you're exactly where you need to be today. Isn't that good? Rafaela, you're exactly where you need to be. You're winning. Not many people do that. Lord, bless Rafaela. Unlock more. Unlock opportunities. I, I just pray for that ministry. If it's of you, you just settle it in her heart and it'd be a pathway. If you believe the world owes you, you'll never discover the grit and fortitude to rise and build in life. If you believe, some of these we got from our parents. If you believe everything should be easy, you'll never embrace challenge and learn a new side of God, your strength. If you believe winter is horrid. This one came from a convo we just had this morning. You know, I used to go into winter months dreading it. And I twigged. I thought, no, I'm a summer person. Like I just wanna live in summer. But I had to reframe it because there's no point for every year of your life, four months just being no fun at all. You gotta reframe it. You gotta find the truth of it. I know this doesn't sound very spiritual, but it is because then that thing won't come heavy over you. If you believe your feelings are always true and a gauge on reality, you'll be led into very unfortunate places and make unfortunate decisions. If you believe you'll never be fulfilled or happy, happy by measure of the joy, by the way, deep joy, you'll resent those who are and you'll overlook the joy that God has already placed within you. Man, this is good. If you believe sex equals love, you'll put yourself in harm's way to ease pain. If you believe you can have strong relationships and have porn in your life, you'll be confused as to why you can never seem to connect with people. Why? It's not the sex issue around porn, it's intimacy that it perverts. And it's not just romantic relationships that perverts either. We withdraw and we put up walls. If you believe God won't speak to you, oh, this is good. You'll not recognise He already is. Hear me? Come on! If you believe that God isn't with you, you'll never feel His confidence. If you believe you're ugly, you'll never discover your beauty or God's beauty. And I'm talking to the men. <laughs> if you believe you're a mistake, you'll never stand in the wonder of God's design. If you believe you can explode with anger with no consequence, you'll never address the root cause. Woo! I'm sorry, I'm getting excited. Lies are coming out from the surface today. Truth's coming out. If you think Christ achieved a partial victory for you, then you'll never believe for total blessing and well-being to be on your life. Nah, He got it all. He got it all. If you believe that God only healed in the New Testament Scriptures and not today, you'll put up with sickness, disease, 
struggles and battles. If you believe you can trash your body, you'll never live in abundance. Why? Because your body is His dwelling place. If you believe in the, if you, if you believe, okay, in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So think about this as a positive one now. If you fully believe in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and the mercy of God, you will not remain in shame. Shame will come off you. Shame has got nothing to do with you now being a good person for long enough. It only gets broken by Jesus Christ who gave His life and died for you and rose again on your behalf. Shame off you. Shame out of this place. Shame out of here. So what? You're just like, oh yeah, sweet. No, you're going to make room for that now. You're going to pack that in your life. You're going to meditate on that. You're going to look up every Bible verse you can about shame being broken, the shame of your reproach being rolled away, Joshua chapter 1. You're going to look at how Jesus interacted with people and you're going to stand on it and you're going to tell that bird to nick off. No, not me. I'm His. I'm His. And maybe the Spirit wants to uproot your own misbeliefs today. If not, at least you've got a framework. Because if you can start to address this stuff, you're going to be emotionally much, much better. Should we stand and pray? We trust you enjoyed this message. And if you're wondering what the next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch. You can either visit our website or email us at info at annasbrook.co.nz.